A warm day in the future, playing parachute with a cloth all stitched and patched with centuries of stories, laughing as we lift it, rushing underneath as one. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solar Scene. This is a podcast all about degrowth today. Actually, this is the 12th episode in our degrowth series, so... Welcome back, or welcome if this is your first time. We are very happy to have you. You remember Parachute, the game you played as yeah, a kid? Yeah, that poem, this is the first time I've heard it, that yeah. you wrote, I'm assuming, a few minutes ago, <laughs> or a few hours ago. I really liked it. I almost made me cry. Parachute oh, really? was like my favorite part of gym class. Yeah, I mean, we only did it maybe once or twice a year as a part of special sports day, mm-hmm. but there's something so... This is going to sound like so pretentious, but there's something so poetic and just symbolic about everyone like laughing together and lifting up this big thing. For people who don't know, it's just a giant round fabric mm-hmm. that you'd carry out onto the field with your fellow eight-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Everyone would grab a hunk or like a strap, and then you stand around the outside and lift it all the way up and then slip underneath really fast, mm-hmm. sit on the inside of it so that it like mushrooms up mm-hmm. above you, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah, but it was... It was the great equalizer, I feel like. Yes. Everyone was in the same, slightly embarrassed. There was always that tinge of embarrassment of like, why am I having so much fun? Uh-huh. But everyone was in it together and you were just like close to people. You never close right. to people. It was nice. The lights are out when you're underneath there as yeah. well. It's pretty dark. So I would sometimes like, like it would be like a mini mosh pit at sometimes. For, the, for the boys anyway. Mm. But um, in this poem, it's a, para- <laughs> it's a parachute that we're all playing with as grownups or kids. And it is... I envisioned it like one of those family quilts, mm. you know, where it's like the story of centuries stitched together mm-hmm. and you know, oh, I inherit this, which means that I will add on to it mm-hmm. one day, pass it on. Because I think that's relevant for today's episode, which is about material for one thing, so mm-hmm. the fabric and also the story that we tell ourselves, I think. Mm-hmm. The narrative of human civilization or of our current culture or of innovation. Today we're talking about degrowth and innovation as well as degrowth economics and the idea of a circular, sustainable economy. Mm-hmm. I think both of these two concepts are very intertwined and also very intertwined with the idea of the human narrative and not just what are we saying about ourselves, mm-hmm. our place in history and the future, but also how are we saying it, how are we mm-hmm. telling ourselves a story and uh, how are we adding to it. So yeah. Yeah, wonderful. I am excited to be going into this episode. I feel like the last few episodes have been really good conversations, hitting topics that I've been wanting to hit for a long time. Mm. So this is another one that I'm looking forward to. And so far, I feel like every week of the Degrowth series has been better and better, in my opinion. Just patting ourselves on the back there. So I'm looking forward to this one and the next few that we're going to do. We're almost near the end of the series. Yeah. We I had mean, no sad end date. But. I, d- I don't think we did mention on the first episode of Solacene, but we had in mind in our, in our own heads, I was thinking maybe about three months mm-hmm. for degrowth. We're 12 episodes in, so we probably have four or five left. Mm-hmm. And we'll see where it goes, I guess, mm-hmm. because there might still be a lot more to talk about. Yeah, it's very possible. It's a big subject. So we're going to start off by talking about degrowth and the circular economy. Mm-hmm. Basically, what a circular economy is for those wondering is currently we have a linear economy so you mine the minerals and you extract the oil to make the plastic you produce the goods you sell the goods you throw them out Mm. and then you buy something new throw it out back and forth a circular economy says okay there would be this initial extraction and then 
when it got to the end of its life, it's so used that you can't recycle it or you can't do something with it yourself. You would either give it back to the company, you would bring it back to a manufacturing place, and it would be made into something new. And it would just be this perpetual cycle. That is the theory of a circular economy. Right. In theory, it has these environmental benefits of reducing waste mm -hmm. and reducing industrial quantities. Yeah, reducing opposed. raw materials. Yeah, economic entropy, I, would, I guess I would just say. Like, there's less stuff going on. Mm -hmm. However, in practice, circular economies take a lot of energy to recycle. I mean, recycling just is a really energy-intensive process. Uh -huh. So right now, when companies say, oh, we're completely circular, it doesn't necessarily mean that their footprint is less or that much less than the average company. And it's definitely been stolen, greenwashed, uses the greenwashing technique. But I think what we're going to be talking about today mainly is a circular economy in an ideal world. So we're not yeah. talking about these scummy companies saying, <laughs> oh, we're super circular. We're recycling everything that you return to us because a lot of them don't. And we're, we're talking, talking about the, the solar scene. Yeah. So the energy would be green anyway. So if it needs a little bit of energy to recycle, it's green energy. Right. And in the degrown future, people's mindsets have shifted. They're not going to be like, oh, it's circular so I can consume more. They're going to realize the value of these materials and the products that they take into their houses that they are responsible for them till the end of their life. So they will be extending the life of these products and so on. Yeah, the, the mindset that you just alluded to, I think, is called Javon's Paradox, right? Yes. Which is a very well-known term in sustainability and economics in general, which I guess just states that when technology and systems become more efficient, mm -hmm. they oftentimes don't actually help anything because what it means is that the users and the consumers see it as more room to consume. So for instance, it's like when refrigerators become more efficient, people just buy more refrigerators. Or just bigger refrigerators. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I can fit more stuff in for the same price. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a real a real worldy issue, like something you'd read in an economics textbook. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't go in the solar scene. No. Because they have no economics textbooks. No. <laughs> economics is just felt. Yeah. We're more about the vibes. So um, <laughs> on, the, on that note, the vibes of the circular economics, I wanted to talk a little bit about these two aesthetic notes that I had about it that is what provides most of the appeal to me anyway, the immediate appeal mm -hmm. beyond its sustainability benefits and such. So one is DIY vibe. Yeah. And the DIY vibe means that humans become more competent because mm -hmm. we're less reliant on Levi's yes. to make our pants mm -hmm. or even to fix them. Mm -hmm. It's like we can just do that ourselves. And it's also just, I like the idea of buying materials and mm -hmm. crafting, treating like a video game. Yeah, I've been kind of obsessed with the idea of making my own fabric lately. Mm. I don't know if I'll be able to. Honestly, it's a bit expensive. Of course. So it's like, I'd like to work up to that to be able to make my own fabrics. But it's definitely a romantic idea. And I imagine if I end up making my own fabric, with which I then go on to make a coat out of, I will value that more than I value most things that I own. Yeah. I mean, you know how in Zelda games and Animal mm -hmm. Crossing... It's like you're just collecting raw materials, raw wood, mm -hmm. stone, different types of elements. Mm -hmm. Then you craft them all together to build stuff. Yeah. I think that's what real life should be like. And it's funny because those are, I, I know that's what real life was like. And that's what mm -hmm. inspired those games. But there's this quote by Kanye. He says, if you want people to stop playing video games so much, 
we should make real life as cool and as interesting, mm-hmm. as exciting as video games. Yeah. So that's what the solo scene is to me. For sure. And I don't think everyone in the ideal future needs to be a seamstress, be a blacksmith, be a baker. Like, we don't need to have 10,000 different expertise. No. I but d- just a general baseline yes. level of knowledge. Yes. Another example I had, we, we recently watched this movie on Netflix called Enola Holmes, mm-hmm. which is about Sherlock Holmes' little sister. Yeah. The movie itself was maybe not so relevant to the discussion, but there was one part of the movie mm. that we both loved. Yes. Do you want to say what it was? From the time Sherlock introduces this little pinecone toy that Enola used to play with, it was a pinecone hedgehog or mouse. Covered in wool. Covered in wool. That she and made. had little eyes and had a little string. Yes. And it was her favorite toy, and her mother kept it until she turned 16. Mm. And it just made my heart melt because everyone, when you have kids or no kids or have siblings or when you were a kid, there was always that special thing that it's like, <laughs> why on earth? It's like even in Toy Story 4 where she has Forky. Yeah, that's right. It's like, why are kids so weird? They have all these fun toys. Why is this thing so valuable to them? But it's more like, why are adults so weird? Yeah. Because for instance, whenever we are decorating a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. my family, the ornaments that people are most excited to see come out mm-hmm. are like, oh, you made this when you were two or you made this when you were seven. Yeah. Look at it, it's so funny. And all the store-bought ones, for the most part, we just kind of, okay, toss that on, toss that on. It's like mm-hmm. you don't care so much about them. Yeah, it's but, the Ikea effect. Yeah, but really it's like, those things are more endearing, mm-hmm. but for some reason we stop when we're kids. Like when mm-hmm. was the last time you made a Christmas tree ornament? Not very often, for most people. I know you do it, but yeah, most, I was most, gonna people, say. most people don't do that. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. But um, you can have the same kind of, those sentimental connections that you forge with materials don't have to stop once mm-hmm. you leave elementary school. Yeah, keep it going. Keep it going. And that's why a circular economy, in my mind, is compatible with degrowth because there will be things you need to buy. Not all of us will be able to make pants or pots and pans. So when you do need to buy something, it will be circular. A lot of degrowth people do not like the circular economy Mm. because it perpetuates the growth ideal that we have in all of our brains in Western society. Infinite growth. Infinite growth. Finite planet. Yeah. What do you, I'm going to go back, when you say, oh, when you, some people won't be able to make pots and pans Mm -hmm. or jeans, so you have to buy them Mm -hmm. from the circular economy. I understand the pot maker is artisanal. Yes. I'm just asking about the circularity of the Uh. the pot, the roundness of the pot, you might say. (laughs) What happens when you buy it? It doesn't last your life. It lasts Mm -hmm. 15 years. It starts to break. Yeah. What then? How does that differ differ from today? Because I had a couple ideas for it. No, that's a good question. I kind of just breezed over you go that, for it. that's what i find a lot, a lot though about the circular economy it's like um, people just refer to it mm-hmm. it's like oh when we get the circular economy even in academic articles mm-hmm. not least policy um there's very little elucidation about what this term actually mm-hmm. means so i was like a pot's a good example mm-hmm. you buy it from your local artisan who forged it himself and stuff and when he uh sells it to you he gives you the cleaning guide mm-hmm. for cast iron or whatever that may be yeah the, the care guide this is how mm-hmm. you can make it last so long but then I think he should also be, if not required, then heavily encouraged by the market mm-hmm. and even by government to, to also provide an end-of-life plan. Yep, when, it come, when you're done with it, bring it back. Yeah, sure. I mean, and with car science, kind of, you can just melt it. He can probably yeah. melt it down and make another one. But if it was the fridge guy. Yeah, the fridge guy. The fridge folk. You would bring the fridge back, be like, it doesn't work. They would know how to disassemble it yeah. or fix it. That's like the biggest thing with the circular economy is making things 
fixable. Because That's right now, if your phone dies, yeah, it's it's dead basically. And this is this is um, we're describing capitalism, but I think with um, with a certain regulation on it, an additional regulation mm -hmm. to perhaps what we see right now, which is if you want to make and sell fridges and make money, mm -hmm. that's fine, Frigidaire. Mm -hmm. But you're responsible for the materials, even mm -hmm. though you're selling it to them. Yep. It's Frigidaire branded. Okay, you have to make sure the Frigidaire brand doesn't end up in a landfill. Like That should be the responsibility mm -hmm. of the company, I think, to have some kind of end-of-life scheme. Yep. Um, can you think of any such companies that do provide such a service today? Everlane does it with their sneakers. They're called like, what are they called? Renew sneakers or something. But you can send them back and they dismantle them and then they either reuse the parts or they recycle them into new things. Right, Patagonia as well, right? Patagonia does. Nespresso uses the pods that they have. They make into can openers and like bottle openers and stuff, which is kind of neat. Yeah. There's a lot of companies that do it. I think Nespresso is a kind of cool one. I don't know too much. Like, I haven't read about it, but I'm just looking at an Nespresso machine. So that's why it comes to mind and why it attracted my attention in the first place to buy is because like, they don't have to. Like, Keurig doesn't do that. Mm. But they said, this is a lot of waste. Yeah. These pods are going to end up in landfills. And so they take it into their hands, made it super easy. They like Every time you order the pods, you get a bag which you can drop off at the mailbox or at your recycling facility, just like put it in with the rest of your recycling. And they take responsibility. If that shows up at a recycling facility, they've informed the recycling facilities, send that on to us, we'll recycle it. Yeah, that's good for them. What I'm kind of suggesting is that I think they should have to. Like, yes. I think that should be I think so as well. probably legal. I yeah. mean, um, people often talk about corporate responsibility with regards to waste like oh i can't believe there's planned obsolescence in mm -hmm. phones and in h&m clothes and stuff yeah. and i that obviously shouldn't be a thing but mm -hmm. go one step further and be like even when the phones do work when they mm -hmm. eventually break i think that should be apple's responsibility yes. to either make sure that the construction is simple enough and i don't know open source enough that people can fix it this is something mm -hmm. that mechanics always gripe about it with cars yeah it's like new cars we can't fix these because mm -hmm. they're made deliberately obtusely mm -hmm. so that it can only be fixed by a Mercedes technician or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. I don't really think that should be a thing. No. And I think in degrowth, the thought is it would be the social pressure because degrowth, I've said it before, it advocates for big government, but then eventually just small scale government. Yeah. So in that, once we get to that end stage, there's not going to be these governing bodies saying you have to make your products circular or you cannot become a multinational corporation. Consumers demand it. Consumers have to demand it. Yeah. And it has to just be the expectation that if a company got multinational, everyone would stop buying from them. Multinational is kind of like... No, but it's like if Apple is doing what they're doing now, yeah. people stop buying from them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the solo scene. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I wanted to mention about the circular economy, like a critique... I know I've been kind of going back and forth, is that it perpetuates the myth that we can decouple. So the myth of decoupling is basically, hey, we can keep growing the economy and not keep growing our inputs and not keep growing our waste. But that is has been proven to be a myth. It's been attempted. That was kind of the solution that a lot of countries got on board with or said, oh, that's what we'll do. Um, when they decided, oh, there's a climate crisis, what should we do? They said, we'll decouple. 
We'll keep growing GDP so that our country doesn't collapse, but we will stop the inputs, but that just hasn't worked for anyone for the most part. And the only times it has kind of like seemingly worked, there have been a few countries where it's like, oh, their GDP is going up, but their material consumption is going down. But that's always been because they've offshored or like exported a lot of the processes. Makes sense. I agree. I do think, I mean, we're going to talk later in the episode about innovation technology, green technology, of course, green energy. Mm -hmm. I do think it's probably possible to reduce your footprint while increasing your GDP. I think so as well. But I don't think it can be a permanent uh, status. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, that doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, we just need to forget GDP. That's what like every degrowth book starts with. It's like, just forget what you know about economics because it's been, it's made up. It's just these ideas that were created at um, the Brundtland Commission or at whatever point in history when people were like, we need a measure to measure success. Yeah. Pulled this number out of a hat, basically. The other side of the coin when it comes to circular economy and practice to me, one side was what corporations do. The other one was, I suppose, what government provides, which is recycling programs Mm -hmm. i think in the solar scene recycling is so much more robust and Mm -hmm. advanced and a ton more people work there Mm -hmm. i don't really know what this looks like whether it's i work for this town's recycling or i work for apple's recycling or amazon's recycling i mean Mm -hmm. imagine if amazon were responsible for all the waste of all the things they sell yeah i mean that would be wild that's a that's a whole Mm -hmm. other uh precedent basically but i think this would have to be in coordination with the manufacturing standards, mm-hmm. as in simplicity, mm-hmm. simplicity in construction, simplicity even over efficiency sometimes mm-hmm. for um, your costs of manufacturing, mm-hmm. etc. Because I don't know how, how true the statistic is, so don't take it as gospel, but okay. I, I don't think it's wildly off that um, I saw this stat in today's current linear economy, 95% of things people buy are discarded within six months. Yeah, I can see it. I don't think food is included in that, but that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything that I've bought and discarded within six months. Probably toothbrush. I guess Hygiene, stuff like that, deodorant, shampoo, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I had another thought about this, which is the attitude towards objects when you're a child versus when you're an adult. And I'm not just talking Mm -hmm. about the DIY stuff, but for instance, books and video games Mm -hmm. um, or games in general. I feel like you cherish things so much more when you were a, a child. I mean, you probably read the book like six times, played the game like six times. Mm. But when you're an adult, everything, well, you can have more of them. Like you're buying them, basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And yeah. as an adult, we know the value of things. Like we know mm. this book is worth $11. So I'll read it once and I'll That's true. donate it. Whatever. But as a kid, the value is just what you place on it. Like there's no, yeah. oh, this is a super expensive book. So I need to That's cherish right. it. Like there's a little bit of that in kids, but not really Oh, there so, shouldn't be, yeah. Yeah. And another exa- another uh, factor I thought of that was in stores, like I'm thinking about clothes stores, when the main goal of the storefront is to show how many clothes you have. Mm-hmm. So it's like you walk in and it's just walls and tables mm-hmm. and racks full of T-shirts. Yeah. And it's like, well, now the person just thinks the T-shirt is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really arguing for the concept of luxury or scarcity, mm-hmm. but when you walk into an Apple store, Mm-hmm. these guys are pretty good at it mm-hmm. they have one of each thing yeah maybe two of each things and it makes such a big difference mm-hmm. yeah that's an interesting point and it also contributes to this other aesthetic element of the circular economy to me which is minimalism mm-hmm. in general 
I think minimalism just in all aspects of life is like crucial to degrowth. And I don't mean aesthetic minimalism. Like you don't need to have everything white and gray. No. Like I like the maximalist like design aesthetic, but in design, in contentness with what you own, minimalist. Okay. Speaking of minimalism, I have a very, very, very small organism of the week. What's your obsession with tiny organisms? So this is this is like our Solocene ad break, right? Yeah. So today's episode <laughs> is brought to you by the um, Geobacter Sufriducans. Okay. And also the Shunella Oncidensis. Oh, so we have two. Well, yeah, it's mostly just the Geobacter. Also, it's kind of funny because you, me, the people listening, I could have just made up those words. No it's, one would it's know. It's 100% true, yeah. But uh, here's a picture of the Geobacter. Just describe it. This looks like a Mr. Men character. Okay. So it's a blue, I mean, I don't know. It might be a render, but I, I it, it probably it's, is. It looks pretty extreme. <laughs> it looks like this blue pill floating through space, it looks like. Okay. With little energy bolts. Right. Bolts of lightning coming from it. And it has little light blue nodes. Nodes? That's a very biological word you just used. Yeah. You I know, don't know if they're nodes. You know Electro from Spider-Man? Yeah. I feel like this is what one of his cells look, looks like. Yes, that's a really good explanation of it. Mm, I should probably bring a little bit more science. Um, <laughs> so this no is electrode. actually a bacteria which is capable of producing energy. Oh, that's cool. That's through, what it looks like in the um, picture. Yeah, that's why I think it might be a render. But through uh, bioelectrochemical systems. Hmm. So this geobacter, please don't make me say it again, but that one can generate 3.9 watts per square meter. That's nuts. It is pretty crazy. What I, do you I, mean, I like... tried understanding the process. I really did. <laughs> but it's essentially like through their cells, they generate electrons. They kind of excrete them. And even some of the bacteria found in the human gut does mm. this, just at a well, very low level. Our nervous system is electric. Electric current, right? But it's just like in my head, whenever I think electricity, I think like this is the most man-made thing there is. Yeah, that's what it seems. But there's lightning. It's natural. And there's these guys. Yeah. And they're typically found in anaerobic conditions, like anaerobic okay. soils. And sometimes they grow on metallic minerals hmm. or electrodes. And they also often kind of break down pollutants in contaminated waters. And they just, yeah, they effectively generate electricity from wastewater. Well, this just seems like the future. This is from an article called eLifeSciences.org. And I think that's what the article said. This is the future. Yeah. But I, that's... um. It's kind of a bridge to the next section of the episode, mm -hmm. degrowth and innovation, degrowth and technology, mm -hmm. because I thought we could get a little bit, little bit sci-fi for a while with this bacteria. Yeah. Just paint a picture of how we can use these in the Solocene, just off the top of your head. Well, there's always going to be waste. Mm. So it's going to be human waste. There will be byproducts of, like, there'll be banana peels. Okay. So these guys can erode them and then use the energy to power the lights in the recycling facilities wow that's yeah yeah <laughs> that's really cool i think they do use bacteria in some recycling right yeah that is already a thing but not for their electricity production mm -hmm. but that's just such a fascinating concept and just imagine all the bacteria that we haven't discovered yeah i'm not true. saying we should use these guys like they used to use whale oil in lamps mm -hmm. even though i am saying that but just <laughs> what i what i wanted to mention these guys for is because of the the depths of the human ocean the microscopic mm. world, at Social, should I say, the microscopic world, 
that we haven't explored yet and we don't know anything yeah. about. And I um, have this kind of uh, unfounded like metaphysical belief that everything on earth that we need is provided for us mm-hmm. easily. We just need to find it. Yeah, I like that. This is such a cool bacteria. They're going to be my new best friend. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought they looked like a potato when they get really sickly and old. And oh, they start growing those things off of them. Little sprouts, yeah. But it, it's in fact electricity. Mm. I like that. I don't think they can take really high-res photos of bacteria now that I think about it. No, so I don't think. That's, like that, that's definitely rendering. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what did you have for degrowth and technology and innovation? Okay, one sec. Technology and innovation, those are two different things. Yeah. Now we're heavily technological innovation world that we're in right now where all the innovation is like oh samsung has a curved tv or mm-hmm. like elon's going to mars and stuff like everything yeah. on nfts innovation pretty much always is technology yeah but we can have other types of innovation yeah i definitely talked about lots of social innovation and yeah. structural innovation artistic yeah so what i found i read this good article about technological innovation and it said, like, the key to degrowth is information and communication technology helping influence, like, urban metabolism. And what that means to me is there's, like, the Flash Food app. Yes. Or there's apps that help you identify where to get public water, like, if you need a drink in public or public restrooms. And it said, the article talked about how information and communication can help just, like, even if there is no changes in a city, like in inputs, it could make them way more efficient by just connecting people. And I think that's cool because I often gripe about social media and about our disconnectedness that has come about due to information technology and communication technology. But it does have a lot of opportunities for good. That's right. Work from home is effectively another example, right? Mm-hmm. That. Communications technology allows us to get cars off the road for the most part. Yeah. I'm not saying work from home is certainly a good thing, mm-hmm. but it's just an example of it. Yeah. And another thing I was thinking about in a degrowth world, I imagine innovation would happen in these new ways that it doesn't happen right now. Right now, innovation mainly happens in labs or in like behind closed doors, it feels like. Mm. But in a degrowth ideal future, I imagine it being a lot more participatory and there's a lot of these like new participants that would be involved in the process. So it'd be very interdisciplinary, consulting people who you're trying to help. And the only other thing that I was thinking is we would need to reorient how we think about technology and about innovations. Right now it's always been for capitalist gain. It's always to increase efficiency, increase the amount of money that we can make per thing, decrease the amount of time that we have to spend doing things. We need to just kind of scrap all that thinking and rework it to value freedom, sociability, environmental stewardship. Like that should be the, those should be the driving values behind innovation, not what they are right now. Yeah. I mean, when you said new voices would be involved, new voices would be heard, I think it's like, the voices of people, not just as consumers. Yeah. Because that's effectively, those are the voices that drive, quote unquote, innovation today. Yeah. The innovation being, how can we make these Pringles more mm-hmm. addictive? Yep. How can we sell the new iPhone, mm-hmm. et cetera? And that's what you mean by it's, it's R&D. It's 
that's what innovation is today. It's capitalistic profiteering advancements. Yeah. You know, self-proclaimed advancements. And I don't think innovation right now is is always going in a in a good direction. Yeah. You know, or it's or it's for the advancement for the advancement of the species. I, I kind of have my qualms with degrowth, or as you said earlier today, my squams with it. <laughs> um because and I know the thing with degrowth is it's not just one thing. Like this is mm-hmm. a whole umbrella of terms. So there is like yeah. some people who call themselves degrowth advocates who I agree with this one hundred percent on. Mm-hmm. But a lot of degrowth, I would say, ignores the fact that humans want to see humanity moving forward. Mm-hmm. And degrowth, even in the name, kind of packages itself as only moving backwards. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think that's what it is. Because no, I think any, anytime we're moving towards well-being, we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. But you never see in images of degrowth or paintings of the degrowth future, light-speed rail. Yeah. Like you rarely see that, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like walking, biking. When it comes to technology, green technology, I think mm-hmm. that's that's really fascinating. And that's maybe where I think the solar scene, as we imagine it, is a little bit less degrowth and a little bit more solar punk. Yeah, I think so as well. It's like for a sustainable future, we I will say this as a statement, like we just need more efficient and more organized and better connected systems. Yeah. Like we can't pretend like, oh, we can all of our solutions exist. We just need to find them. Mm. It's like we will need to be in labs. We will need to be talking to people and working together to create these innovations. Maybe there's a new type of democracy that doesn't even exist that needs to be thought of by a think tank of yeah. locals. So you're talking about there needs to be new, like outside of technology. Yeah. We need to restructure. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah, I agree with that. But there needs to be this element of wonder for, mm-hmm. I think, the psychological sustainability of, you know, the people mm-hmm. to, to buy into it. Because yeah. that's what society is. It's kind of just one big buy-in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you end up with mass depression and yeah. alienation and things like that. We're, like we need to the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. Like we need the kids to be watching the Jetsons. Be like, wow, this is going to be the future. Yeah. But now I feel like, well, I'm not thinking that our future is going to look super Jetsons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the solar scene is, and I kind of. <laughs> you could say this is like a rather like a, a coping mechanism of podcast, but <laughs> it is what it is. Social therapy. But it's about how you let's say like our story how we tell the story of humanity and our mm-hmm. place in it. I found this quote, which is technology like art. We often kind of juxtapose those things, but mm. technology like art is a soaring exercise of the human imagination. Mm. And I love that. It's a quote by a guy called Daniel Bell, or at least it's attributed to him. Okay. Because today's technology, the internet doesn't always result in. It's true. In truthful accreditations of quotes. Just some examples of really good innovation that I think is going on today mm-hmm. is like military. So new ways that we kind of kill each other. Um, NFTs and Memoji. <laughs> you know Memoji? <laughs> I really can't breathe. I don't know why. <laughs> you know Memoji? Memojis? Is that the ones that move? Yeah, like you, you put the phone up to your face. Okay, and so these like, are the future. No, that's just what's happening right now that I think is innovation. Legitimate innovation. I mean, we're both kind of fans of Apple, right? Like we watch the, the keynotes and we're like, oh, what's mm-hmm. going on? Like Because Apple's just cool and we're cool. like corporate fanboys or whatever yeah but it's like we always say what if they didn't make emojis and what if mm-hmm. there was apple just pivoted into healthcare yeah. for its consumers because everyone everyone likes apple for the most part it's like yeah. everyone is kind of at their beck and call we trust apple yeah so it's like they have like i don't know a billion followers or something mm-hmm. it's like there's more iphones than people Probably. i think 
but what we we were just saying, what if there was some kind of simple sensor mm-hmm. that Apple released which told you your vitals mm-hmm. aside from the watch? I think the watch is a cool idea. I think so as but well. But if it was like, oh, you need potassium. Mm-hmm. Tells you your macros and your micros, your blood pressure. Yeah, that's what that's yeah. where I feel like the R and D should be going. But because that doesn't view people as consumers, it views them as humans. Mm-hmm. That's not what the R and D is going. Yeah. But for Solacine, I think health, I think sustainability, exploration, mm-hmm. art, these are the areas of real innovation. Yeah, I, mean, I think so as well. I was thinking also about architecture, paintings. Mm. It's like those all had movements. Mm-hmm. And each movement is kind of like, that's the innovation of that particular medium. Yeah. Architecture is especially interesting because it's actual technology. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how many architects or painters of today mm-hmm. can you name? Not many. Not many, because that's not really where our attention lies. No, it lies but in technology. how many business people can you name? Plenty. At least three. At least three, And yeah. that doesn't even make any sense, right? No. Because we yeah. love art way more than we love business. I mean, I know we love, I know we know movie makers, but that doesn't fit the narrative, so I don't want to mention yeah. that. And I know people say, oh, well, people don't pay attention to those things because there are no mm. Van Goghs or Monets around today. Yeah. But it's like, I would say it's arguably the opposite. Yeah, there's probably thousands and the more eyes are on it the more of a of a shape that the narrative that particular medium starts to Mm -hmm. take and then it evolves into something else so we're not just stuck in the slog of postmodernism maybe that can be a question for next week degrowth and postmodernism i don't really think so but maybe degrowth and art we've covered innovation yeah i like that the cool thing about degrowth and innovation to me like one of the many cool things is that it can be localized so it's like there can be a community in Nova Scotia, which is, okay, we have this really cool river. How can we use this river to provide for our community? There's a bunch of places that have no rivers, but they have the ocean, or they have a really unique biome, like little ecosystem is the word I was looking for, where the specific type of mushroom grows. So they can try and exploit that mushroom for their benefit, whereas before it was just ignored, and so on. And I think that's really cool because right now we always feel like, well, I can't do anything innovative because I don't have a lab. But it's like you can just treat your building as a lab. You can treat your community as a lab. We had these courses in university. It was two parts. One was community as a living lab. The other one was campus as a living lab. They were not great courses, but I liked the titles of them. I thought they were good ideas. Titles of courses are like 60% of the benefit of courses. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely think that. That's why I think I took more courses than everyone else because I just scrolled the academic calendar mm-hmm. reading all the courses many times. Yes. And it's biomimicry, right? What you just said about the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the river in Dune mm. where there's the helicopters that go like wasps. Yeah. Or hummingbirds. And that's why I mentioned the bacteria as well. Mm. That's the type of innovation that comes from exploring. Yeah. Like I think submarines mm. and spaceships, space exploration, I think that's great. I know there's a lot of environmentalists who are like, oh, how can you do this when there's blah, blah, blah. But I think because it's psychologically sustainable, people need mm-hmm. this. Like if it was just don't emit, if that mm-hmm. was the only story told to people mm-hmm. and that was the commitment and yeah. not balanced by, oh, look at what crazy Jeff Bezos is doing on Mars. Yeah. People would get really sad. The good thing is there's 7 billion people. Yeah. And in the ideal future... It wouldn't I mean, be 10 eight. of those people. There's 8 billion people. Sorry, yeah. I'm living many years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> there wouldn't be 7 people who get to do cool things. Yes. Everyone would 
get to do cool things. Hmm. Or at least things that they feel are cool. But right now, most people don't do the things that they feel are cool. That's true. Yeah. What I'm saying is, even in the 60s, mm-hmm. there's only two people who got to go on the moon. Mm-hmm. But everyone felt like they were going to the moon. Yeah. Oh, for should I say, we are going to the moon. Mm-hmm. That was the general sentiment that people had. Yeah. So there needs to be that level of pride, basically, mm-hmm. in the species. And now I feel like all we feel is guilt for yeah. the species with, with good reason. Yeah. I have a question for next week of examples of degrowth technology, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. I have one that I'm going to share to wrap up the episode, I think. But I think that'd be a good place. I want to continue this conversation. I feel like it's going well. Okay. I also had another question for next week, completely unrelated to today's conversation. Fair I was going to say it last week, but I just forgot. Yeah. And that is the romance that our generation, younger people in general, and older people I know, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's weird that we're growing up with it. The romance of living off the grid. Oh, I like that question. You know, it's like... Um, cottage core. What's that all about? Cottage core. Yeah, yeah, what's that about? It's like um, when I retire when i get rich enough mm-hmm. the benefit will be i don't have to engage in the system yeah <laughs> that's um that's how i find myself feeling quite often which is definitely not a good way to feel but mm-hmm. let's let's talk about it yeah for sure we're also going to finally deliver on our homework next week because aaron pulled a ron and didn't prepare his homework well let's talk about that yeah. um last <laughs> week you assigned some homework the question was to relate a sustainability development goal to degrowth mm-hmm and it's correct i didn't do it but yes. i had good reason i could have talked about it today but i wanted to give myself more time and more study so i didn't yes i wanted to get it's a good question so i wanted yeah. to you know give it some worth but you know in true alicia fashion mm-hmm. you did my homework i did do your homework but still we're going to save it for next week yeah i might do another one because it was a good exercise um i'm going to wrap up with an example and also some cons to degrowth and technology because there's a surprising number of degrowth proponents or people who support it who don't think like it's possible to kind of collaborate those two and honestly the reasons were completely valid and scary because it's like if you think about it we envision a smart future like smart cities green cities but you can see they're very easily being these companies or these organizations that monopolize them. So it's like if Apple released a green city and then we're copying, pasting it all over America. Yeah, well, Tesla is about to do that. Basically, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> that's scary. And <laughs> it's called techno-authoritarianism, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. And there's also the treadmill tendencies, the Jabon's paradox, which it's like, that's kind of a psychological thing that just exists. So it would take a really, really intense paradigm shift to avoid these treadmill effects. It's mainly psychological, their issues. It's just like we, in our heads, even me thinking about it, it's like we can't imagine technology and innovation coming from anything other than an organization. We can't imagine it not coming from something that's trying to make money. It's hard to imagine just like a group of people being like, hey, we have this cool new thing. Here's it for free. Let's all share this technology odds are they'd want to make money off of it. That's been the history. Yeah. So I can see why people don't think the future will be any different. Yeah, but we need to be optimistic or else change won't happen. Well, or else we'll cry ourselves to sleep every night. We will, yeah. We do. Yeah. (laughs) Our neighbors probably are concerned, but it's fine. And yeah, the cool example that I had is from this company called Bastube in Egypt, and they make mortarless bricks. So bricks, traditionally, you have to put 
mortar in between them. Glue. Glue. And that takes a special set of skills because it's like to get them all even and to work quickly enough to put them together. But this company basically has this little technology, which is bricks that fit Lego, basically. Okay. But real life Lego. And they produce the bricks and then... In Egypt, there's a housing kind of issue because it's like a lot of people live along the Nile. I think like 95% of people live along the Nile. So it's like a very congested part, but they're trying to, this company is trying to help people be able to build their own houses so they don't have to live in shanty towns and such. And the good thing with these is that there isn't a barrier of knowledge of like, hey, we're going to give all of you people a bunch of bricks and mortar. You can make your houses. Yeah. It's like you can, we're going to give you these bricks, make your houses where you want them, how you want them. And it's just a lot more, it's just a cool like little degrowth idea, which I like. And they also obviously produce everything locally and ethically, which is nice because a lot of traditional like imperialists, we're going to help out these people living in poverty has been very top down, non-collaborative. But this whole organization is very collaborative, which I like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's democratic. It sounds yeah. fun. I don't know if I want to live in a Lego house, though. But it's not actually Lego. Oh, a cool thing with the bricks is they're like crazy insulation, super weatherproof. Like yes. they're they're really neat. They're not just bricks. Like they're they're above bricks. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Future bricks. <laughs> That's a great way to end the episode. So thank you all for listening. And if you've listened to all twelve, gotta catch them all. Thank you for that. <laughs> Actually, I think we have 14 episodes in total, so thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye.